we are talking all things multifamily debt with John Schwargel, Managing Director at Bercadia. Uh, John, just so folks have some context, uh, right out of the gates, uh, roughly speaking, how many deals, how many loans have we done together? I would say over a decade, uh, we have done uh, 100 loans or yeah. 100 or more and yeah. probably over $500 million of business. Yeah. And roughly speaking, how, how much volume have you done just personally? Oh, personally? Um, <sighs> I mean, I've been doing this. I've been really uh, commission-based since 1998. So mm -hmm. I don't know um, really what getting a salary is like. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I've done thousands of loans, yeah. uh, in, in my day and, yeah. and, uh, you know, I can't even, it's in the billions of dollars. Always been multifamily focused. No, uh, really everything. Yeah. Um, uh, I've done office retail, um, mobile yeah. home parks, uh, yeah. mini storages, industrial. How long have you had this emphasis on multifamily <laughs> Um, really started focus on it, I would say in around 2014. Yeah. And then, um, you know, joined Bercadia in 2016. So they really focus on multifamily here. So it was a good fit. Yeah. Yeah. And then just for context, uh, you're also, and this is helpful for our audience, um, given that this, you know, podcast is the seven keys to passive investing in multifamily real estate. You are also a passive investor in multifamily real estate. How many deals have you invested in passively? Probably around 13 to 15. Yeah, yeah. And roughly how many groups you've invested with us, obviously, how many? Have I've you... invested mostly with you guys, but I've also invested with two other uh, clients as well. Good, I think that helps give a little context. Of course, we're talking all things debt, but we're also gonna get into to the seven keys. And, and yes. I think it's just helpful to get it's one thing to be talking about. It's one thing, another thing to be talking about it from the lens of someone who puts their money where their mouth is, is also an investor in the space. Yeah, yeah. right. It's good to have, you know, um, you know, all of our uh, directives aligned, you yeah. know, we're, we're all towards the same, uh, you know, highest return that we can get. So um, exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's good to have all the, all the values and, and principles aligned for sure. Yeah. So as a rough outline, um, what we're going to hit is we'll talk about kind of just get to know you, your background, Bercadia sure. a little bit. Then the, the flow is we're going to start with what I would say are a little more um, beginner type uh, questions, some beginner content of just hitting the laying a foundation of why is this topic helpful for a passive investor in multifamily real estate? And what are the most useful things to be aware of? And to, to lay the context a little bit, um, what we're talking about is something that is uh, a component of multifamily real estate. Uh, but for the passive investor, the more you're equipped, the more you're aware of some of the terminologies um, some of the very important factors, such as the debt, um, the more equipped you are to, as you're talking with potential sponsors, 
you know what, you, you have a rough idea of what they're talking about. You're going to be more equipped to ask better questions and to differentiate between sponsors that might not be as uh, sophisticated or might not, you know, might not be the best fit uh, for what you're looking for. So we're going to kind of start with some more beginner type stuff. Then we're going to get into some more advanced stuff of, you know, we'll talk about um, structuring a deal. What are the main components of structuring a deal? We'll talk about the current state of the market, uh, the future, kind of any any thoughts you have, predictions. And then- you know, I was just going to yeah. say that, you know, I, I think that it, it is huge for you know, an investor to um, understand the debt portion of it. You know, it, it normally accounts for about 70 to 80% of the capital stack. Exactly. So I know that, you know, the other 20, 30% is sliced and diced a million different ways. Yeah. But really the, the, the most, one of the biggest things is, is the debt and how the debt yeah. is structured for sure. Exactly. Totally agree. And then lastly, we will hit on the seven keys. Uh, we won't spend a ton of time on it, but I'm going to ping you some questions just on each of the seven keys and kind of your experience uh, as a passive investor in multifamily real estate. So let's go ahead and jump in. So tell us the audience just a little bit. I, we of course know each other very well, but for the audience, give us a little background on yourself. Um, just born and raised in Kansas city and uh, went to Mizzou. So Mizzou fan uh, and uh Anyway, been in real estate right after I graduated uh, from Rockers University, get my MBA, and uh, was a underwriter for for many years, um, and then uh, went to work for GMAC Commercial Mortgage as a as a uh, mortgage banker, and I've been doing that really ever since 1998. Yeah, uh, and born and raised here, just like I said, born and raised here in Kansas City, and really focused on the Midwest for lending. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're a scratch golfer, you said, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> I wish I was. I'm a better tennis player than golfer, but. Uh, really? Like did you play golf, tennis yeah. in, like, did you play tennis or you just gotten into it? Like, did you play I in played in school? high school and then I played a little bit after, uh, you know, up to about five years. I tore my ACL. So it set me, set me back. Yeah. That, just a little bit. I say, but just have you gotten into pickleball at all? Uh, no, but I want to. That's on my bucket list. Is I I I, I have played it, yes, but I, I want to get into it. Uh, that's that's on my bucket list. One, I want to get involved in that. We've got two courts here at Flash Cube. You got to come over. Have, have you played? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm. We're really into pickleball. Yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. Very. Who's very. better? Who's better? You or Joel or Paul? Well, so. Uh, I would say I am slightly, this is one area where I am, I, I, I would say I was the third best in basketball, maybe second best, but the, but pickleball is one where I do have an edge. I think a little nice. bit of my brothers. I will take that one. I will take that one. But yeah, we love playing it chicken and pickle. And then we've got a couple courts at a number of properties, but we've got some courts here. And it's yeah. the best, what I love about it is you can have two 75 year old people who it's oftentimes they've got like a tennis background and the court's small enough to where it's really a lot more about your hand-eye coordination as, and so you're still running around a little bit, but it's like age, the age gap is, you know, anyone can play with anyone. Right. And so it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Okay, cool. Uh, So, so a little bit more, so maybe tell us a little bit about Bercadia. Um, Right. So back when I worked for GMAC Commercial Mortgage, um, that became Capmark when they took uh, GMAC Public. And then 
uh, Cat Mark wasn't doing so well, so it was bought by uh, Berkshire Hathaway primarily and Lucadia. So it's really combinations, primarily Berkshire Hathaway, but Lucadia. That's yeah. how the name came, Berkadia. But uh, so uh, they found that they knew that there was value. You know, Berkadia has uh, charters for uh, Fannie, large loan group, Fannie, small loan group, yeah. Freddie, large loan group, Freddie, small loan group, HUD, um, you know, 40 plus correspondence from life companies, correspondent, yeah. uh, other CMBS correspondent letters. So I think that they saw a value in that. Yeah. And there was, yeah. a, and, and there were, we had, let's say a hundred billion dollars of servicing Our servicing now is $300 billion. Um, we're very focused on technology. There, there's, there's for, for uh, investors, you know, and again, like for you all, there's modeling that could be done services for yeah. Katie provides via red IQ that um, if the folks, you know, like Worcester's, we're reviewing a, a, a deal if they wanted to use that service, you know, they, they could, yeah. um, you know, but there's, there's, you know, there's a cost to it because you don't have to load any of the rent rolls or operating statements, yeah. but um, you know, that's, it's this, Mercadia is just really a full service company. I mean, we provide, you know, investment sales, we provide mortgage banking, we provide equity now, you know, not only, you know, agency loans, balance sheet loans, yeah. um, really one-stop shop. What's your uh, what's your plug for kind of um, for those sponsors out there in the market? What what makes Berkadia unique? What's kind of like the, uh, the right. high level? You know, <clears throat> the biggest thing is probably deliverability mm-hmm. and and not bait and switch. I mean, that's really what I pride myself on yeah. is delivering an application and not having that application either rate wise look look at or below the rate that's quoted in the app or loan amount like you know better um you know i'm not i would just i would rather you know um look like a hero than a villain and i know folks if that works for them you know overachieving in this yeah you know in this i would say um industry is is huge if you don't over if you're not an overachiever you're not going to really make it and you you gotta do better yeah, and to frame that up, that's super helpful because uh, an investor can be getting involved in a deal and a sponsor's put it together and they've shared it with their investor group. And if something's going on with the bank and the terms change at the last minute or they have yeah. to scramble, um, that also I mean, it impacts everyone in a deal. And I mean, a deal can, you know, can kill a deal um, or at least the, you know, no, no one likes that experience and so i think deliverability is i mean that's i i would it affects, it affects return, the most important yeah. thing so yeah, yeah yep deliverability awesome. is is huge loyalty too but deliverability you have to you got to be able to deliver for your clients yeah. that's yeah. The bottom line what's your plug on um for people to reach out to you um or to get on an email list or you, you mentioned yeah. list, anything like that they can go onto the Brookadia website, um, you know, about us. And, yeah. you know, I'm in King, I'm located in Kansas city. Yeah. Um, you know, you can attach my uh, contact information if you want to. Uh, but yeah, email me, I'll get you on the list. Uh, call me anytime. Um, you know, I'm uh, very accessible. So you, you have to be in this business. <laughs> we spend a lot of time with you. So we know you are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're on the phone a lot. We are. All right. So let's jump in to, what we're going to approach with, um, we're kind of in this 
um, beginner's stage, if you will, we're going to take the why and then what approach. Why is this important? And then what is important? So why, in your opinion, is debt um, a valuable thing for a passive investor to be aware of, to know about that? We touched, we touched a little, little bit on it, just that it is that largest piece of the capital stack, but maybe elaborate that on, on that. Right. So if I'm an investor, you know, I'm trying to assess risk, right? Risk for my investment. So if you're, if we're doing a loan, like an agency loan, you know, the risk it being non-recourse, there's no guarantees, the risk portion is, is pretty low, right? right? So if we're doing a deal and it's a, let's say it's a, it's a bridge loan, um, the risk goes a little, you know, the risk goes a little higher from there. Exactly. So what type of loan you have is depends on, you know, what, how much risk you have on, on the debt. Yeah. And you're so, looking yeah. at, I mean, you hear the term risk reward or risk adjusted return, yep. you know, and, and so, yeah, if the, if you've got something that's projecting to be an 11% return, um, but that it's much higher risk, uh, in your opinion, because a lot of risk is subjective, but if you've got something that's close to it, maybe, you know, nine and a half, 10%, um, but it's like really, really low on, you know, the risk spectrum, then you might, you, you might say, Hey, that, that 10% is a much higher risk adjusted return. So yeah, that's, that's great. Um, so kind of a couple follow-ups on that is, uh, not only is it the largest piece of the capital stack, but then also the impact it has on it means your largest operating expense as well. And so what's kind of your take on just understanding not just the going in debt, you know, uh, elements, but then kind of the triggers along the way and how much that impacts a deal. Right. So, so uh, the nice thing about agency debt is we can normally get um, three or four years of interest only. Yeah. So, so that's helpful and in, in returns. Um, the nice thing about agency, you know, loans, they're, they're assumable mm -hmm. and you can go back for supplementals, you know, after three or four years and get another bite of the, of the equity apple. Yeah. So, you know, they're, 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 they're flexible. And if you sell it, Folks are very easily, it's not like um, a life company loan or bank loan that if you try to assume something like that, they're going to want, they're going to want a better credit risk yeah. for the agencies. They just, they just need somebody that qualifies and that's it. It could be anybody. And so, um, you know, so I would say, you know, and, and on the bank and, and on the bridge side, I would say the higher returns you go in, you know, for a bank um, loan and hopefully you refinance in two or three years and you get some of that equity back and that all juice your returns as well. How, how much do you look at, and just kind of from what you said, it made me think of this, uh, when you're wearing your investor hat, yes. how closely are you, are you looking at or what are you looking at when you're looking at someone's assumptions regarding debt because that's kind of a big piece that I you don't hear a whole lot of people talking about um, is assessing okay what are they projecting to refinance out at, at 
What are they projecting right. to bring back? What's been your experience anecdotally as an investor? Yeah. How much are you digging into those? As an investor, I like to see long-term debt because yeah. I'm pretty debt averse to yeah. uh, interest rate risk. Yeah. So I like to see, you know, long-term debt agency um, or, you know, um, other types of, of long-term debt, but yeah. primarily agency for multifamily. You know, if I see short-term debt, bank debt, I'm not really, I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not like not going to invest in the deal, no. but my risk profile might be a little different. I might need yeah. a little, you know, investors might require a little more return exactly. for something that's short-term because you have that interest rate risk. I mean, you do have the chance. I mean, interest rates have, have gone up in the past, as we all know, Yeah. and you know, from 2008 to 2012. So there's always that in the, in the folks that, in the folks that, um, the long-term players in this business always have long-term debt. Yeah. You know, um, you just, you just don't want to be, you don't want to have too much short-term debt in yeah. your portfolio. Yeah. Exactly. Let's set a little context uh, for the audience here. Walk us through what types of debt there are. Um, right. So we're getting a little bit of the vernacular the terminology um, and maybe share a little bit about, about each. So agency debt is Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac or HUD, FHA HUD. Those are the three, and those are probably in multifamily the preferred types of debt. Right. And then if you have a, a, a deal that is not stabilized for some reason, um, you're trying to change, let's say it's 50% student and you're trying to take it to 20% student, right. or it's 70% occupied and you want to get it to 95% occupancy. Right. You might use what I call bridge debt, which is short term, like bank, three to five year term. Um, there's also national uh, bridge lenders as well yeah. um, that sell the paper and they're the same thing about three years. Yeah. Um, you know, bank debt's a little easier to close, um, especially for repeat sponsors and, and they're for smaller deals. If you're talking about a 50, $50 million deal, it'd probably have to go to a national bridge lender. Um, like in New York. So do you can you bucket a local bank, regional bank in the same category? You you define that as bridge? Yeah. They're, yeah. they're bridge. I mean it's 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 recourse. It's 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 a means to get to long-term debt. Right. It's not, even it, if it's like a five plus five, even yeah. if the you're still yeah. considering that because it's transitional it's you know it's a it's a means to an end you're saying you're calling that that bridge yeah it, it's just you know five plus five resets after five years so you yeah. still have the straight risk right exactly and you're probably at a 25 year amortization um yeah. which banks that's their standard amortization you know the agency financing is three or four years interest only and then it goes to 30 years yeah and, and hud you know is has a 35 year amortization you know so that really juices your return. So, you know, bank is just, it, it's a, it, and if you have too much bank debt, that could limit your capacity to borrow more bank debt. Yeah. So you really want to, you know, you, you're going to reach a, a cap. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to yeah. reach cap. <clears throat> CMBS. Where does that fit in? CMBS is for deals that really don't fall into agency, uh, right. long-term financing. Let's say it's a, a, a student or it's got a military presence, high military presence, um, or, you know, 70% of the people work for Cerner that, that live there. There, you know, if, there, there, if there's some type of a concentration, um, 
you know, it, 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 it would maybe pop that into uh, CMBS. Uh, yeah. We don't, don't really use CMBS a, a lot. Again, it's just for deals that don't fit in to agency. Yeah. CMBS has some triggers to it, like cash management accounts, uh, defeasance for, you know, uh, prepayment penalties. They have cash sweeps. They have some terms a lot of times in their, in, in their term sheets that, um, that I always kind of call gotchas. <laughs> you know? And so I always try to eliminate gotchas for my clients because yeah. I never want to have clients come back and say, why did you put me into a, you know, a loan like that? Exactly. So speaking of agency, given that that is, everything's kind of funneling towards that, maybe elaborate a little bit on the structure of an agency deal and what are some of the key terms, uh, some key elements that would be helpful for an investor to be aware of? Right. So, you know, agency loans, um, you know, maximize out at around 75, 80% loan to value. Um, you know, they can go down to a 125, um, what's called debt service coverage ratio. Um, and, uh, well, so, explain that for, explain that for someone who isn't aware. Right. So it's really your, your, your coverage. Or DSCR, your, that's something. Right. DSCR yeah. is, is your, your net cash flow divided by your debt service. Right. And that determines how much you can cover debt. So obviously the higher you cover debt, uh, the, the less of a risk that loan is and the lower that you can, you know, if you're just, if you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year and you can, and your debt service is a hundred thousand dollars a year, that would be like a one-to-one. Right. And that would be a very risky situation. Yeah. And, the, um, so, bank, so the, right. And so, yeah. you know, they have, um, you can do a step down, uh, prepayment or you can do yield maintenance. Um, mm-hmm. yield maintenance is, um, it's a, it's a, uh, mechanism for to prevent churning of loans. So when the interest rates go down, that you're not refinancing every time it goes down by a point. Yeah. Uh, yield maintenance starts to disintegrate as rates go up. Uh, so uh, most most folks think that interest rates are going to go up. So yield maintenance is really uh, it's better than uh, defeasance. Um, and so it's uh, really the the lesser uh, of the prepayment penalties. Yeah. And so. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're just like I said, they're, you can go with a five-year term, seven-year term, 10-year term, 15-year term and a 20-year term. Yeah. Um, and they're, you know, 30-year amortizations, like I said, um, and low rates for long-term holders. Yeah. Recourse. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, recourse is, um, it's, 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 it's needed on some deals. Like I said, the bank deals are recourse driven and you need that little extra credit support. Um, Cause a lot of those deals are not getting to a one, a 1.1, you know, like a one Oh cover. Remember the DSCR we talked about right. some loans are only making 80, $80,000 and they have a hundred thousand dollar, <throat> you know, um, debt service. So those deals, you need a little credit support. So they bring in guarantees um, from, you know, y'all folks like Worcester investments, yeah. uh, to, to, to bridge that, that credit risk. But once your coverage, once you're starting to make good money and your, your coverage gets to a 125 or 120, you should start look at, uh, getting into a long-term loan and getting yeah. out of that, that recourse position, because it's not just, you know, non-recourse, your cla- your, the collateral is the, the assets, the only part of the collateral. When it's recourse, it's it's not only the collateral, 
the apartment. It's, it's, you know, everything you own. Yeah. Uh, bank debt. How does it compare? You know, if, if uh, comparing bank debt, right. I, I always just use the term bank debt, um, sure. but bridge bank debt, how does that compare to agency? What are some of the helpful features for an investor to be aware of? Right. Bank debt is very uh, good for, for deals, probably up to about 30 million or so. Um, mostly they're five-year deals. They're, um, uh, the prepayment is, is uh, not as onerous. It might be like a 54321. Uh, there will be some, some recourse to that. Um, bank deals are, you know, uh, they don't have as much interest only, if any. Uh, they're 25-year amortizations, like I said. They'll yeah. go up. Their rates are probably their rates are about fifty basis points higher than agencies, yeah. even though their term is shorter. Yeah. Their rates are are higher for that higher risk. Um, so you know, right now, bank rates are around four percent, and agency rates around three and a half. Yeah. Uh, and, and the same thing with bridge. So you know, the the national bridge lenders, the same thing. Their rates are around four percent. They're more of a three plus one plus one, and they're all interest only. Yeah. So that's really the difference between, and, and they're a little more onerous to close. You know, a bank loans might be a little easier to close because you've worked with that bank before, say four times, they have all your information. The national bridge lenders are, you know, they may take a little, may, may take a little more to, to close those loans. Yeah. But they're, they're normally, you know, they're normally 30 million plus yeah. a lot of the time. All right. What is your take current state of the market? Just your viewpoint of where you see things at right now. And I've got a couple of other follow-up questions that I'll sure. ask. So I think that the everybody's hungry for debt. I think banks are having a lot of runoff to the agencies. The banks are super hungry. Um, bridge lenders, super hungry. National bridge lenders are super hungry. Uh, you know, for low leverage deals, life companies are hungry as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have 40, 40 plus correspondents in life companies and they're hungry, but that's, you're talking normally lower leverage deals for life companies. Um, and the agencies, you know, they have the FHFA is what regulates the agencies. Um, they're still, um, have, uh, government conservatorship. So they have given them, uh, the ability to do about 80 billion a year each, and they're coming up to reach that ceiling. We don't think that there's any um, reason to believe that they're going to really reduce that yeah. um, by too much, but we, we don't know. Um, and I would say interest rates uh, have gone up over the last couple of weeks. And I, the 10 year at the beginning of the year, and I don't know if it's, you know, whether it's politics or not, who knows, but at the beginning of the year, the 10 year was at, you know, 80 basis points. And now the 10 years, it, it's double that. It's like at 160 now. So, you know, they're still at historical lows, interest rates are, but it's, you know, they're ticking up there. And if it may be making deals, maybe a little tighter. Okay, so a couple follow-ups to that. Number one is for a new investor who wants to keep track of, they want to just kind of be aware of where rates are at. Talk a little bit about, I know there's not some just uniform resource, but talk a little bit, what would be the process 
that you would follow if you were to get, try to calculate where exactly rates are at? So one obviously being get your newsletter, stay in the know on anything you're sending out. What would be the process of looking up the 10 year and how to calculate where, roughly where rates are at? Yeah, uh, you know, we send, a, you know, usually some rates out about every 10 days or so, send a rate sheet out that, you know, Jesse, you get that too. Yeah. Um, you know, you can Google 10-year UST and yeah. uh, CNBC, Bloomberg comes up. Yeah. Um, folks can see kind of what rates are doing as the 10-year goes up, your overall rate is going to go up that, you know, the, your overall rate is made up of, of the 10-year treasury plus a spread. Right. And so, you know, and normally as the 10-year goes up, your spreads go down a little bit. They give you a little relief, but they're going to catch up. And so as the 10-year goes up, rates normally go up. But um, to give an example right now, yeah. if someone was to look up the 10-year, what would be the spread? Uh, like how would right. someone do that calculation? Right. So um, usually the 10-year right now, I think is about 150. And so spreads right now around 200. So that would be like a three and a half rate. Exactly. So, exactly. and that's just for a standard ten-year, ten-year uh, term fixed, thirty-year AM, and you know, three, four years IO at maximum leverage, which yeah. is seventy-five to eighty. If you do less than that, if you go to a seven-year, uh, your rate might be a little lower. If you go to a twelve or fifteen-year, your rate might be a little higher. Yeah, and then when you're talking about a specific deal, then you kind of get into what quotes have you gotten, basically. So you've got like the general market. And then when there's a specific deal, if I'm an investor, I'm right. talking to someone and saying, what quotes have you gotten? Um, you know, what are the term sheets looking like? Right. So a normal, on a normal, uh, you know, on a normal bank deal or bridge deal, uh, usually the quote letters have, you know, it's a grid format. You can compare, yeah. say, three different quotes, your top three quotes and figure yeah. out which one works for you. And the same thing with agency, you know, you might get a seven, 10, 12 year um, you know, I have, I have some investors that like 12, um, I had one investor, I did a, a 20 year term and a 25 year am mm -hmm. last year, uh, investor just wanted to go super long-term and yeah. not have to worry about refinancing. Yeah. There's some investors that love to do seven year terms. And, uh, but I would say 90% of the investors do 10 years and then they do a cash out refinance, uh, every say nine years or so. Okay, I want to back up just a hair here. So uh, map out very high level, just the top two, three, four events that occur in the closing of a deal where if I'm an investor, it's good to be aware of, you know, I, I can ask the sponsor at any time, kind of the status of these events. Yeah, so I usually, I normally say that folks, there's usually two routes you can go to every deal that you get. You can go right to long-term perm normally if the occupancy is, you know, over 90%. Right. And then you could, you know, go in for a supplemental and get another bite of the apple, get some of your equity back and you reduce your interest rate risk. Right. You can also go to more of a short-term option. Number two is you go for more of a, a short-term where you get in, take that 90% occupancy up to 95%, you push the rents 
uh, over the next couple of years, then you come back and say, now I want to take it to long-term perm exactly. and you can get, you know, sometimes hundred percent of your equity out. Normally on those deals, the agencies um, will go to, after two years, they'll go to about hundred yeah. uh, percent of, of the, you get hundred percent of your equity back. Yeah. Yeah, if if the business plan's been ex- executed, that's well exactly right. And goes yep. according to plan. Yeah, that's that's uh, definitely been the goal and the the structure of a lot of stuff we've done. Um, right, because that because that way, if you get your your equity back, you know, immediately when an investor gets their money back, they want you know, and they're still getting the same returns right. on the same deal, right? Yeah. They want to put that money into something else and yeah. and and do it again. Yeah, and it's not and uncommon. You can. Yeah. It's not uncommon. You can. Uh, increase your debt and lower your debt payment. Uh, not in yeah. all cases, but it's like, yeah, get my money back and my cash flow increases. So yeah, that's it's no surprise that a lot of people kind of target that as a as uh, you know a business model. Well, perfect example that's Lakeview that we did uh, that HUD loan out yeah. there. It was a twenty five year AM bank loan, and we okay. did a cash out HUD loan thirty five year AM at a hundred basis points lower rate. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So you mentioned uh, 2008 to 2012. Talk a little bit about historically your perspective on where rates have been relative to now. Just just to get your kind of yeah. if you zoom out to the 30,000 foot level. What's kind of your your vantage point? You know, my vantage point is I think, you know, rates are at historic lows now. Yeah. I think that anytime there's a global event, whether it's you know, pulling out of Afghanistan or um, raising the debt ceiling or anything else that happens, you know, it's kind of like a scared squirrel interest rates are, you know, so anything that the anything that the world does, any sudden knee jerks, you know, uh, a missile coming out of North Korea, anything, any kind of unstable uh, event causes interest rates to rise. Yeah. So, and that's really what you have to look for is um you know what's going on in the world to determine where you think that rates and i can tell you that i've tried to estimate i've had and we've tried to do it before too together hey listen we're 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 ready to rate lock we think rates are going to go down next week and i can tell you it seems like eight out of ten times we're wrong so (laughs) it's 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 extremely difficult to project where rates are going to go exactly exactly so well that is a good segue into what is what is for an expert you being an expert versus a lot of folks you know are not wrapped up in the debt world and and you know aware of what's going on is it just a throw your hands up in the air and there's no way to it's it's kind of a useless exercise to try to think about where rates might go or Kind of. So, what I'm getting to yeah. is, what does the future hold, or what opinion do you have on what, what the future holds? I, I think that most folks would tell you, and I'm probably one of them, that rates don't have any place to go but up. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know when you think about in the 80s, you had 15% interest rates. Um, you know, I, I I just don't think there's any place for rates to go but continue to tick up. So, I'm a huge fan of folks putting deals into long-term debt. Yeah. Um, just because I think it's the safest. For someone putting a deal together right now, yep. where are you, where would you expect them to have to project interest rates? Where would you be comfortable at 
someone projecting interest rates two to three years from now, if they're projecting a refinance, what's the range where you're right. like me individually, John Shorgle, I am comfortable yeah. with that range. Probably four and a half. Yeah. You know, if, if rates were at three and a half, I would say in a couple of years, maybe four and a half. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't think it's, I, I don't project it to go to 10. I'm not right. um, doomsday guy, yeah. but I think in general though, they're going to tick up. Um, you know, just, it just seems like it's going that way that, you know, right. so, but if I'm wrong, you know, it, I want to, I want, I want, you know, full, full transparency. I, I could be way wrong. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. We, we, no, no one's making any uh, yeah. hard claims here. So um, let's talk a little bit just about, um, in my mind, this fits into the current state of things is SREO monitoring, which is of course, now we're kind of going to to the Burcadia discussion a little bit, but just um, giving people a window of what is happening behind the scenes, uh, the the tracking of the of an SREO and the strategy of looking at you know what can us what you know you're doing this with your clients, um, assessing on regularly assessing is the current strategy is the current state that we're in the, are we, are we maximizing everything we can from a debt perspective? Maybe just talk about that a little bit. Right. And I think Worcester's probably one of the best on this SREO monitoring as well. And I think that um, I think y'all put your investors first uh, really in almost every situation, which I think is, which I think is great. So what SREO monitoring is, is if, if we, you have a deal, you kind of look at your schedule of real estate owned, that's SREO. And so you're, you're looking at deals that maybe you have uh, short term in nature, maybe you have recourse in nature, or maybe it's a high risk loan yeah. that um, you know, you're paying you know, eight, 9% on that you want to, you know, want to reduce that. Yeah. Uh, you know, some, and, and, and so, so you, you look at your, the SREO and you try to, try to monitor what we want to do in terms of like, let's say a refinance or a sale, some type of a, you know, capital event. Yeah. And, and really it's an, it's really for the investors more than anything else. Cause if you can refinance and do this analysis, you can refinance and take some tax-free money out yeah. and get a good return on your money. Yeah. Or do you want to sell in 1031? So SREO monitoring is for deals that are coming up at the end of their term loans or for deals that are in, um, you know, that are that are short-term in nature, for deals that are stabilized, that we want to maybe put them long-term um, or sell, or or or, and so you just want to make sure that your that that SREO is is on the cheapest uh, interest rate globally, collectively, and that there's not any additional risk for for your client. Yeah. How often are you doing that? Because what we're talking about is some proactive work where you're you're saying, yes, we put a plan in place originally, but let's revisit yeah. it and compare that to where, where, you know, what the current market is at right now. How, because this is, this is well, something. I mean, I look at your guys' real estate owned. So for you all, it's, it's yeah. frequently because I, I see it, you know, every week, yes. but uh, you know, for, for most clients, um, yeah, I mean it's a it's a quarterly issue, yeah. you know, quarterly uh, deal that you go through, and you may pop them an email that says, "Hey, listen, I see you have three or four uh, deals uh, coming due," or I see that your recourse on a, on a big deal 
and you know we could probably do a cash out refinance let's take a look at the numbers on that let's get you out of that risk position let's get let's get you not only take out your short term loan in 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 and 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 risk uh uh higher risk interest yeah. rate risk you know let's take that to a long term firm non recourse yeah. loan and yeah so for a passive investor some kind of i always try to look at it through uh you know, various lenses, but specifically the lens of a passive investor, a question that like, how is this relevant to uh, someone in that position? It might be just asking a sponsor kind of what is your approach with SREO monitoring? How often are you monitoring it? Because, hey, if I'm investing with you, I want to know how proactive you are in um, trying to maximize, you know, whatever debt we might have on any of the deals we're in. What are some of, this is just anything goes, uh, but it's specific to debt, okay? What are some of the top questions that you would advise or you would just anecdotally, you would ask a sponsor specifically related to debt? What are the best questions if you were given advice some of the best questions. Obviously, you've got the- well. The best question, yeah. The best question is interest rate risk. What yeah. what am I? What's my interest rate risk here, right? But um, you know, I think uh, uh, some of it is you know what, what what's the amortization? Um, how, how can we squeeze? You know, how can we pay the least amount of debt service um, on, on a deal? Um, what's the most versatile loan that we can get? Yeah. Um, you know, uh, a, a loan that we could, you know, sell sell a property. We could also get uh, maybe we want cash out yeah. on a deal. What's the best uh, kind of loan to get good 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 cash out? Yeah. Um, what questions would you ask to uncover the assumptions that are being made related to the debt? We touched on this a little earlier, but the assumptions going forward, such as the refinance, that type of thing, what, what questions would you ask to draw that, draw that out? Yeah. I mean, the amount of the debt always is determined by the income and expenses. Right. And so if, if you are in a place where the deal is kind of stabilized and humming along, that's a real good opportunity for, you know, as an investor, I always want to get my money back as soon as I, yeah. as soon as I make the investment. Right. <laughs> so, you know, you want to get your money back as soon as possible, or you want to, in, you know, e- either, either in one big lump sum in, in or you want to, or you want to maximize your returns, yeah. um, your monthly returns. Yeah. Um, and, and so, uh, and you want to do that in the most tax beneficial way that there is. Right. And so, uh, yeah, so that's what, you know, when, when you, when you're looking at that, you're, you're looking at the income on the income expense side to see if it's, you know, and the, and the investors get these, I, I, you know, just like we do for, for the properties I invested in, Hey, listen, here's, here's, here's the property. Here's our T uh, 12, a uh, trailing 12. Here's our rent roll. Yeah. Um, so the investors can, can look at that income and expense and, and, and make, you know, Hopefully the, the revenues are going up yeah. and, you know, the expenses are going either flat or going up by less of amount <laughs> yeah. Yeah, than the income. All right. So let's, let's finish up with the seven keys. Yeah. So the first one is trust. This is yes. very vague. It's a, 
it's a it's a word that's important. We all know it's important, but how yeah. do you actually? What does trust look like? Um, what what would be your advice to someone who is wanting to? You know, they're going out and they're gonna they have a, the intention and the goal to talk with ten different sponsors. What's been your experience? How do you gain trust as a passive investor um, with groups that you've either invested with or considered? investing with what's kind of your approach there right you know me growing up in missouri you know show me state right i, I always look at uh the past history of deals yeah. and um you know i love to see especially on your website hey listen here are the deals that we've done here are the returns that we've got you know received and so you know past you know usually to make good decisions for the future you look towards the past so i would say for me, um, and, and to make sure that they're organized and they have a good website and they're personable and they answer the phone. And uh, you know, I've talked about that. I mean, half of being successful is being accessible and yeah. Yeah. the phone. And there's How much time will you spend with a sponsor or a group? It, like for you, you've invested with folks that you've known for a while. Is yeah. that correct? That's always That's the case. Years. I've known yeah, them so, for years. Yes. For years. So what's your advice though, to someone who doesn't have that, you know, they want to invest in the next six to 12 months. I would say, look at the management, you know, I mean, management is the backbone of any good um, company and, and, and folks that stay on top of, of the managers who's managing the asset, the even the maintenance crew, the, people to do the turns. I mean, look at the average occupancy of the portfolio. Yeah. Um, ask about them. I would be, I would ask about the management um, side of it, probably just as much as the investing side of it. Just, to, yeah. you know, I, I really think that a, a good management is the backbone of a good real estate company. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, do you have an opinion on third party versus in-house? Do you, have you invested with any groups who do it third party? Uh, no, I have not. Because yeah. I, I, I just think that um, folks will manage their assets always better. Yeah. Um, I have invested with a group that will do third party. Yeah. Um, so there's really three different the, ones. Did they do it on any of the deals you invested in? Uh, yes. So, oh. so, uh, so uh, there's, there's, you can do folks that just manage their own assets. They will not take any third party. Right. And you have folks that do strictly do, that's all they do is th have third party managers, investors. Mm -hmm. I've not invested with them. Yeah. And you have investors that do some third party and some not third party. And the one that, that did was a, you know, you have an asset, let's just say it's in Des Moines and you yeah. only own one asset in Des Moines. You don't want to hire a bunch of people to go into Des Moines. I... So what you do is you get a third party investor, but then the idea is once you reach scale in Des Moines, then you can hire staff there to you know run around to get all in-house energy yeah then you do oh, all interesting. yeah but in-house is the way to go in-house yeah. is by far the best returns for an investor you definitely want folks that have that manage their own assets because nobody manages their own assets better than than themselves yeah yeah that's why we manage in-house we've uh, we've looked at many times looked at doing third-party management, um, but never gone down that road. I think we're, we're eyeing it more seriously than we ever have uh, currently. 
Um, but, uh, but yeah, we're, we've, we've had that experience as well. Um, and there's well, folks too, I've seen folks that just all they do is have third party and they go through three folks, three management folks in five years. And, yeah. you know, it's just, it's, it's best, best to manage yourselves. If you can, if you can swing it. I know it's yeah. can be, you know, a, a pain yeah. and, but it's a good service that you provide for your clients. Exactly. It, it really is. That's a, for your investors. That's probably one of the best services you can provide is managing yeah. your own assets. Yeah. yeah. That's helpful. Uh, track record. What do you, you mentioned track record as something to assess. So the first key is trust. Second is track record. What yes. do you look for? What, what, what would you define as a good track record, what are the key components you're looking for? You know, I, I, I just for me, you know, I always look to obviously the cash on cash 10, you know, 10%. Now, you know, that, that, that number is going down as deals, the demand for multifamily is going up. I think a little bit, the cat's out of the bag that uh, multifamily is like the safest and best place to put your money. And so, especially with agency financing, I think the little bit, the cat's out of the bag. So, Unfortunately, values are going up. You know, the cost of building materials is going up. So there's more renters now than, you know, the cost of building a new competition for multifamily. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it's, it's tough because if somebody builds a new complex, your rent might be, have to be double what, you know, a, a B, B asset might be. Exactly. And so, you know, in the, you know, so, so anyway, uh, I'm kind of going off track here a tad bit, but no, in no, terms no, of so investing, I like to invest in, you know, probably B, B minus C plus to all the way to a, but yeah. it's just a multifamily is a great, it's a great choice to invest in of the spectrum of deals. It's probably the least of the risk. Yeah. So the market's um, yeah. definitely, definitely driven, um, you know, expected cash, expected investor returns down with them, with the market being so hot as you're looking, circling back around just on track record, as you're looking at a group, do you have a length of time where you're like, well, if they haven't been in business, if they don't actually have, I don't know, five, eight years of a track record, is that something you look at? Uh, or are you comfortable if, if someone's had, you know, just yeah. a few deals under their belt? Well, here's the normal thing that happens is the folks that are just getting started they're they might be offering a 20% cash on cash return for their money. But the folks that have been in business for 10 plus years might be offering a five, you know? Yeah. So, you know, there's a happy medium there, but yeah, I mean, I look for, they've been in business for, yeah, three years is, is a great, and, and, you know, maybe 500 units um, yeah. of ownership, uh, I think is great. And, um, and to see what returns they've gotten for their investors yeah. um, is yeah. great. But, you know, every sponsor has, or every client has different, uh, uh, returns and different structures of, of the equity waterfall. Totally. And uh, so I, yeah, I, I, I would say this, and this is not really honest, uh, not to teach Charles Homer, but you know, during, you know, the, the rougher times that we've had, you know, let's say in the last like 10 years, there's never really been, um, you know, I, I've been with, I've been with investments that have cut off returns for several years um, I've gotten into investments where they said, hey, we're not going to give any returns for the first three years because we want to do some CapEx. But, you know, Worcester is very diligent on getting those returns um, to, to the investors um, 
as soon as possible. And uh, that's, you know, it's a, it's a really a tribute to you, to you all the way you guys do business. Craig that's why, so that's why I'm you. invested. The majority, <laughs> you know, 80% of the investments are with you guys. <laughs> well, the credit goes so much to the team who's driving yeah. the asset uh, to be able to produce those returns. So that yeah. credit, so much credit goes to the team. So speaking of team, you're assessing a new group. Uh, what's your advice or someone else, a friend of yours is assessing a new group. Who are you encouraging them to talk to on the team? Like you mentioned all the way to the maintenance team for someone who's a, I'm a couple States away. I'm going to, I plan on talking with maybe a few folks on the management team or on the team. What's your advice to them on just anything that falls under the blank, the umbrella of assessing the team? I would like to talk to, yeah, the, 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 the uh, management, um, somebody in management. And I'd like to talk to uh, somebody that's out there actively buying uh, the deals. Yeah. So, so your, your deal guy. Yeah. Acquisitions, um, yeah. Yeah. And so what kind of deals are you targeting? Um, what kind of deals are you going after? Yeah. Um, you know, what markets are you going into? Uh, you know, cause if, 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 and the nice thing is about where normally where an asset is might generate more return. If an asset is in, you know, a smaller town or if an asset's in a city that's, you know, doesn't have as good occupancy or good return, you know, or, or has been as successful as Kansas City, you might get higher returns, yeah. you know, like in Tulsa or in Oklahoma. Where, know, where it's perceived as higher risk. Yeah. Where it's perceived as higher risk. Somebody that has a deal in Kansas City, they know Kansas City, it's great. Somebody that has a deal in Wichita, you know, might not be as sure to go to Wichita. Exactly. But if you have another deal in Wichita that you're doing well with, that's your best that's the, the best proof right there is, exactly. is look at the current deals that they have in the market um, and how, or, or how they've done in other markets. If someone has done well in Manhattan, Kansas, yeah. safe to say they're probably going to do well in Columbia, Missouri, you yeah, know, exactly. uh, et cetera. Yeah. So yeah. look at where they're looking at the deals and making sure that fits your risk profile, just because they're buying doesn't mean you have to go into every deal, you know? Right. Exactly. So, uh, how important is transparency and communication to you? I, I talk to investors and some say I've gotten to the point where that is like one of the number one things I've, I look for because in their own personal experience, they could live with a deal that the return might be a little lower, but if they're having trouble getting in touch with people, getting responses to their answers. It's like, that drives me so nuts that my overall experience, like I'm weighing that really high. You have other people who are like, look, I'm looking at the number and I really don't try to talk to them very much. And, you know, that's just not something I'm looking. Where do you fall in that spectrum? Well, I think investor relations is huge. And I think that everybody should have somebody they can reach out to via email or a call um, and review a rent rule or financial, or yeah. um, if there's a fire at a property, hey, let's get an email out to the investors and let everybody know that there's been a fire and that there's been an incident or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think you know transparency is huge. Uh, normally, what folks do is is a quarterly report is what I normally see. Now I know that you all have also uh, d- done uh, conference calls as well. Yeah, do you get on those at all? I, I do. Normally I get on those calls if there's been, if there's coming up to a sale, 
Yeah. Or there's a, there's a um, we've done a refinance. Yeah. I always jump on there because folks are always going to ask about it, and yeah. and and I know and 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 Nicole, you know, who who's ever on it with me, um, I think they appreciate when I'm on there because a lot of times I've been with these properties for ten plus years, so I I know, and so when investors start asking a bunch of questions, but that I usually get on there if there's an event that newly getting you know going through a, a refinance or purchase. Yeah. or coming up or, or just got done with one that those are I'm usually but if, if someone's just humming along and we're in year four and there's you know there's no capital event I usually don't jump on those yeah exactly exactly all right so the those first four uh trust uh track record team and transparency that's that's all focused on assessing uh, a sponsor a group you know you're you're focusing on them a lot of people use the analogy of betting on the jockey versus betting on the horse that's betting on the jockey. Now let's kind of shift over to specific deals. Um, and type is the first one. Do you yeah. have, um, any types of deals that you will or won't do, uh, anything along the spectrum, everything from like a D asset in a very right. area all the way to kind of a class, a new construction, that would be kind of a, a spectrum um, of real estate. Any any types of deals that you shy away from? Right. So I've I've only invested in multifamily. Yeah. So so that that eliminates a lot right, right. there. Right. Um. You know, and and I think I would only invest in multifamily. And multifamily is it's interesting in that you know you can lose a tenant or two and you're still going to be okay. Yeah. Or commercial. If you have a retail center or something, you lose two or three tenants, you could be and you that one that one you might have that coverage go down to 1.0. Exactly. And and that's why in multifamily it's a little you know safer. But I, I would, you know, I, I'm uh, you know, with the C guy, you have a little more if you're in C business, you know, you have a little more payroll, a little more, a little more maintenance uh, yeah. issues. Um, I think the B realm is probably my kind of sweet spot and you know, to go to just because. Um, if the economy goes down a little bit and, you know, folks from the, that are in the A stuff will move to the B stuff. Yeah. And so if the economy takes a little bit of a downturn, B is a very safe yeah. uh, place to be. And normally your maintenance is not huge uh, on there. And, and the agencies are really, that's their, their mission driven is affordability. Yeah. And so every deal we, every deal we, 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 from one to a hundred, we determine how affordable that asset is for a renter. Mm. And that helps determine what your rate is um, and, and many other things. So B normally has a high affordability. So normally you get your cheapest money just on terms of debt. Yeah, You, know, you get really cheap debt there too. So I really like that even to B plus. Now that's not to say that if there's not a story, you know, you and I have always talked about the story of a deal. <laughs> You know, so if there's a good story to um, like uh, someone on prior, like where somebody has some land that's fully entitled, they already have a lot of sweat equity in the deal and we're getting a great price yeah. on it, um, you know, or you have a builder that is building the assets for you and it, 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 it given you at a good price, a pre predetermined price. Yeah. Um, th there are uh, exceptions, but I would say in general, I like these stuff. Yeah, that's helpful. So thesis is the next one. You know, you just get the summary, the narrative of a deal. 
what are you looking for and what's kind of your advice to someone as there, you know, is there anything particular you're trying to draw out from the, the elevator pitch or the narrative uh, about a deal? Yeah. Again, it's just, it's the, it's the, it's the story. I always like to have, and, and most lenders like to have, especially with a new purchase, what's the story. And even for a refinance, what's the story, right. what's the business plan. The business plan is huge. So, going into a refinance. Hey, this is our business plan. You know, we think it's valued at X. We've gotten VOVs, you know, plus, you know, but there's going to be some, you know, tax consequences. We could do a refinance, which is going to have no top, you know, tax consequences. Everyone's going to get their money back. Here's your, here's our, here's what we think our business plan should be. Here's the story on a purchase, the same thing. What's the story here. And I think that, you know, if you like the story, um, for instance, hey, the pro- we're buying the property. It's eighty percent student, and you know they're harder on units. Um, their pay is not so good. Their pay rate, the the, the bad debts higher. We're going to reduce that down to twenty or thirty. That's a good business plan. So um, the story is probably the biggest thing. Yeah, uh, you hear that. That's the most common thing you hear. Just to peel back a layer, and if you don't have something, you know, on this, that's fine. But I'm just curious. Do you have a, a gut level or have, have you seen circumstances where you're like, I hear the story and it's just not compelling enough? Like what for someone, for someone who's, because obviously when you, when you talk about a story, you're talking about to a degree, a gut level that makes common sense. We're buying it here. We right. think the values here. We've got a business plan to bring it up, but uh, is, do you have any advice or someone who's uh, maybe newer to to differentiate between stories. It's a tough one. It's it's not. It is even- a tough one, and it's tough for me to answer because you know I've been doing this for so long. I can kind of sniff out a bad deal. Exactly. You know, because we look at so many. I know the values per unit and 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 where they're at. Yeah. And but the nice thing I would tell your investors is that you know we already have the financials, unlike investing in stocks and bonds. And, you know, we kind of, we have a rent roll. We have a T12. We have a year end to 2020. Most of the time we can see where the historicals are. We can see the returns are going yeah. at, at a bare minimum. So yeah. I always kind of call that, you know, you know, we have insider information on investing and that's yeah. why multifamily is such a great investment too, is yeah. you kind of, you know, you have all this information at hand, but, you know, for me, I, I, I can note there's at some juncture you're buying a deal that a deal is not going to work if you can't at, at, at every price, a deal doesn't work. Right. Yeah. So, you know, for me, it's like if, if they're overpaying to a yeah. certain extent, I, I you know, everyone's going to overpay, I think, a little bit in this market today. And 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 the idea is it's going to keep keep going that way. And I'm and I'm. You know, uh, I think for sure in Kansas City, it's going to continue. And I think, you know, the Midwest, too, it's going to go that way. Uh, We've just been we've been more uh, insulated from what's going on the coast, you know, just what's going on in the world. A lot of the coastal cities had a huge impact from COVID. You know, occupancies went down, bad, you know, bad dead went huge. In the Midwest, we didn't really have those huge turns. So I think Midwest is going to continue to be a, a good bet. Yeah, that's obviously, I mean, why we moved out here and why we've loved it and why a lot of investors just see better returns is you have great underlying economics, great job diversity, great cost of living. 
and you just don't have those fluctuations. You don't have that speculation that occurs on the coast where, yeah, prices can go up at a, at a quicker pace, but then they can drop at a much quicker pace. And for, for folks, it's to each their own. Everyone's got their own uh, cup of tea or what they're looking for. But for someone who's wanting to be risk averse and they're looking for what I would consider the best risk adjusted return, you know, it's a reason why we're in multifamily as opposed to other different types of real estate. And then there's a reason why we're in a certain part of a part of the country as opposed to other parts of the country. So uh, tracking with you right there. Last question, terms is the seventh of the seven keys. And that is just all the details in a deal, all the numbers in a deal. Uh, and you kind of got to start with like your, your returns, your projected returns, cash on cash, any particular things, advice you would give to someone uh, looking, digging in to the nuts and bolts of a deal, any particular things that you're looking for that are a, a highlight for you, you go to look at a specific, you know, cash on cash, for example, what's, what's kind of your process? Right. You know, I think that, uh, I, I mean, for, for me, uh, you know, I'm just talking about for me, I kind of like to see something around at least eight, yeah. you know, for a cash yeah. on cash return. Yeah. I think that as values have been going up, cash on cash have been going down a little bit as, yeah. as, as, as the values now, um, yeah, I've been going up a little bit. Uh, so I, yeah, I, I like, like to see, yeah, cash on cash around eight. If it's, you know, and for, for more of a, of a riskier asset, then you would want to see, yeah. you know, something north of that. Yeah. Um, so, and I would, I would like to add, and this has nothing to do really with that, but the longer term deals, just as an investor, I, I just, you know, when 2008 happened, a lot of people had their assets taken back by institutions, banks, um, and they called a lot of notes, you know, Fannie and Freddie, really, you cannot call any of those notes. If you're paying the debt service, it's yours. Yeah. And I would say that's one of the reasons, you know, why, why you do, you know, ACBIS because they can't really call the note on you. So it's, but, but, but yeah, but so that, anyway, that's the kind of, that, that kind of affects the returns too. Yeah. Do you look at IRR much? Are you, uh, you know, there's so much speculation that goes yeah. into that, but I mean, how much weight are you putting on that number? You know, are you digging into that very much or is that you get it, you get people on the different ends of the spectrum on that. A lot of people are, that's yeah. like the thing they look at. Uh, I'm really cash on cash driven, but um you know, but one thing that I would say, though, is I would, as an investor, I'm okay with not paying returns like you, like the first year. Yeah. Um, I, I like a property. The last thing I ever want is a capital call. Yeah. And the nice thing that, I, and, and, you know, I know that you all have never done it, but I know some other folks have, whether they don't make returns for six months yeah. or a year. I'm okay with that to build up a nest egg, especially for big capital items, because, you know, as an investor, I think that the, the 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 worst thing that can ever happen is hey, getting that email that says hey, listen, we need to here's a capital call, we need to get yeah. some money immediately. And it's normally if, it's normally at the worst time, you know, as well. <laughs> yeah. Because not only is the is 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 you know the economy going down, but then you also have your your you know investors saying hey, yeah. listen, I need more money. So I'm okay with. Um, you know, a lower cash on cash, even to a six or five, if we're building up yeah. some, 
some some cash yeah to to where i feel super safe yeah all right super helpful i don't have anything else but a a kind of a final closing is is what is your why multifamily obviously there's you've you've got visibility into so many different asset types you've done lending on so many asset types um, so not, not the why real estate, but why, why multifamily of all the different, uh, kind of food groups out there, right. what, what drew you to that? Well, you know, I've been to a lot of conferences, um, and, and I, and, and we kind of talked about this a little bit and I, and, and not to repeat myself, but it, it is, uh, you know, if you lose a tenant or two yeah. or five, it's okay. And everyone always needs a place to live. It's, yeah, it's, it's shelter. It's one of the food yeah. and shelter are the two biggest. Yeah. Um, it's not like um, retail where it's it's normally those are just those are wants. You know, multifamily is more of a need. Everyone yeah. has to have a roof over their head. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, when I I just yeah. So I think it's probably you know of the risk scale what I've seen in the last twenty five years is multifamily hold its value more than any other asset type. And you'll see a multifamily that's from the 1960s, it'll be 100% occupied. And very rarely do you see an office building or retail center (laughs) from 1960s that is 100% occupied and held their their asset, you know, held their value really, really well, so. Yeah, super helpful. Cannot thank you enough for joining me. Absolutely. Um, any final parting words, any advice that you would give that we haven't covered for someone who is, you know, uh, looking into passively investing in multifamily real estate, anything that we haven't covered or, or did we hit it all? I think we hit it all. I think that you, just like you said, those, 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 um, the points that you had, had given to look for a client, I think those are all huge. And I would say, like you said, talk to a professional, talk to a guy like, you know, someone like you or me. And if, before you make a big investment, talk to somebody that's a professional and whether you do a loan with me or invest with you, at least you'll have a lots of information. That's, that's, that's the last thing I would say. Yeah. Super helpful. All right. Thanks again for being on. Thanks. You're the best. See you. Bye. Bye.